Hi there. Morning. So we have church? All right. Well, I forgot that last week, or I would have made an announcement. Sorry about that. I'm glad I looked at my phone. Yeah, it's a good thing we have Facebook and email and things like that, huh? So, uh, yeah, we're going to have <clears throat> fellowship meal after the service, and then we're going to have a bonus session, and we're going to hear from Dallas Willard. It's a video. He's not coming back from the dead to speak. We don't do that here. Yeah. I think the Bible has something to say about that. Um, and uh, then after the bonus session, if you can stick around and help Sherry with the redecorating, it's time to decorate already. Can you believe that? Is it really time to decorate already? Wow. So, all right. So, busy day. Glad you all are here. We have a few people that are sick. Uh, you be praying for... Martha, she's got the gunk that's going around, and uh, D still fighting the virus and coughing. Got to keep things going. Yeah. All right. So we're going to pray for Dee and for Martha and for all the others who are at home. And uh, let's go ahead and do that. Father, we just ask you to guide this service and uh, be here with us this morning and be with those who can't be with us this morning and just envelop them in your spirit and uh, include them with us and uh, help their spirit to be connected to our spirit through your spirit. We know that you can do that. Thank you for the way that you work. Pray for healing for for Dee that she'll feel better soon, and for Martha. Thank. Pray for healing for uh, Wilma for her knee as she recuperates, and uh, for others who are missing this morning. Uh, I don't see Wendy here, and. Uh, we just uh, pray for your spirit to be here with us, to help us to uh, ignore the good smells from the fellowship meal and to focus on the uh, spiritual food that you have for us this morning, the things that you've given Randy to prepare for us, that message. And uh, as we look into the scriptural skills that we need to have, I just pray that you help us to uh, have hearts and minds that are awake to you. Father, I pray that spiritual forces that would distract us, keep things, uh, that would keep things from going well so that we're not paying attention, I just pray that they would not be allowed to enter this room, to enter our lives. Father, I pray for all the tech to be working. I pray for the tech in people's pockets and on their wrists to be quiet this morning. And I just Pray for us to be present with you. And I ask these things in your son's name. Amen. Been around Christians, you've probably heard of the idea of having a personal relationship with God, which could mean different things in the Bible, like having God as a friend, or your father, or maybe your teacher. But there's one particular way that the Bible talks about this relationship that you find all over. But strangely, we don't talk about it that much. And that's the idea of a partnership with God. A partnership like working alongside someone to accomplish a goal together. Right. And this is actually what you see at the beginning of the Bible. God creates this good world full of all of this potential. And then God appoints these unique creatures, humans, as his partners in bringing more and more goodness out of all that potential. But the humans don't want to partner with God. They rebel and try to create a world on their own terms. And so this broken partnership is the Bible's explanation for why we're stuck in a world of corruption and injustice and the tragedy of death. It's not like there's just one or two humans who have bailed on this relationship. In the story of the Bible, everyone has abandoned the partnership with God. So what God does is select a smaller group of people out of the many. 
and he makes a new partnership with them called a covenant. And in a covenant, God makes promises and then in exchange asks his partner to fulfill certain commitments. And the purpose of all of this is to somehow use this covenant relationship to renew his partnership with everybody else. Now, there are actually four times in the Old Testament that we're told God initiates a covenant relationship with Noah, Abraham, the nation of Israel, and King David. And it's through these that God is forming a covenant family into which all people will eventually be invited. So let's see how these work. The first one is with Noah. So in this story, God has just brought the flood to cleanse the world of humanity's corruption. And Noah and his family are the only ones left. And so God makes a covenant with Noah saying, listen, I know that humans will continue to be evil. But despite that, I'm not going to destroy it like this again. Instead, the earth will be this reliable place for us to work together. Great. So what does Noah have to do? Nothing. And that's what's so interesting about this first covenant is that God is promising to be faithful, even though he knows humans won't be. The next time we see God make a covenant is with a man named Abraham. God chooses him, promises to bless him, give him a large family, lots of land where they can flourish. And in return, God asks Abraham to trust him and train up his family to do what is right and just. And the whole reason for this covenant is God says that somehow he's going to bring his blessing to all families of the world through this one family. So that's Abraham. The next time we see God make a covenant is when Abraham's family grows into the tribe of Israel. And this covenant is with the whole tribe. God asks them to obey a set of laws, which are these guidelines for living well as a community of God's partners. And if they do this, then God promises to bless them and that they will become a people who then represent him to the rest of humanity. That's the covenant with Israel. The last covenant is with King David. Yeah, the tribe of Israel has become this large nation ruled by David. And God asked David and his descendants to partner with him by leading Israel and obeying the laws and doing what is right and just. And God promises that one day, one of David's sons will come and extend God's kingdom of peace and blessing over all the nations. So those are the four covenants that God makes in order to restore his partnership with the whole world. But here's what happens. Israel breaks the covenant. They worship other gods, they allow horrible injustice, and so they lose their land and are forced off into exile. So it seems hopeless. But during this time, Israel's prophets talked about a day when God would restore these covenants in spite of Israel's failure, somehow. Yeah, they called it the New Covenant. And this is actually what's so interesting about Jesus, is that he's introduced into this story as the one who fulfills all of these covenant relationships. We're told that he's from the family of Abraham, and so he will bring the blessings of that family to the whole world. We're told that he's the faithful Israelite who is able to truly obey the law. And we're told that he's the king from the line of David. And so he goes about extending God's kingdom of justice and peace to all. And that's really remarkable for one guy. Yeah. And what it highlights is perhaps the most surprising claim of all made about this man. That Jesus is no mere human, but rather God become human. And God did this in order to be that faithful covenant partner that we are all made to be, but have failed to be. And so through Jesus, God has opened up a way for anyone to be in a renewed partnership with him. So Jesus calls people to follow him and become part of this new covenant family. And despite their failures, Jesus is committed to making them into partners who are becoming more and more faithful. The story of the Bible ends with a vision of a fully renewed world, full of goodness and peace. And there's this renewed humanity there, partnering together with God to expand the goodness of his creation. And so the end of the Bible story is really a new beginning. In your hurting, in your sorrow, I will ask my God to move. I speak the name, cause it's all that I can do. In desperation, I'll seek heaven and pray this for you. I pray for your healing, the circumstances would change. I pray that the fear Jesus' name, I pray that a breakthrough would happen today, I pray miracles over your life, in Jesus' name.
I hope you have your Bibles because we're going to sharpen some scriptural skills. Ready for this? This is a um, part of memos from the Messiah. We're looking at things that he said, things he taught, little um, moments as he's approaching his final week, uh, final days on earth. He is interacting with the people uh, around him. He's presenting some things that are really important as he gets these messages out. And so we're going to try to get the memo. In this case, we, we will look at three areas and compare them, look at how they fit together, how they uh, fit as a whole. But let's start with metanoia. Metanoia. That has to do with a change of mind. It is turning around, going a different direction, thinking differently, uh, moving in, in, uh, in this case, moving in God's direction. And it's difficult to do with the, if we are just given instructions as human beings, we're giving, given instructions from heaven on how to live a perfect life. And we are broken and we are in doubt that what God's saying is necessarily legit or um, even if we think he's really telling us the truth, then we are struggling to to have the capacity to do it. We just struggle getting those things done. Inside, we're, we're battling with things. That happened with those uh, Hebrews, with the people of Israel. They are blessed to have God communicate with them and give them instructions and say, this is the way to go. This is going to work for you. They often rejected it, rebelled against it, turned a different direction, just didn't do it. They couldn't fulfill it completely. All kinds of things. So he offered them, and this is while they were in exile, being uh, separated from Israel, away from Jerusalem, away from the temples, been destroyed. This is the first time with Babylon. And uh, in Ezekiel, and this happens in Jeremiah, and Isaiah speaks of this, but this is this new thing that God's going to do. This is from Ezekiel 36. I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart, and I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. That's how you solve the problem. Put in a new heart, new way, new spirit. He's going to provide uh, the spirit to give direct information, but also to empower people to be able to do this. He's headed in that direction. Jesus shows up, and he is the fulfillment of this. He's bringing these new things. He says, I'm here. I'm bringing the kingdom of God. We brought it down from heaven, bringing it to you. He's got some things to bring to people. And this new thing is going to make it possible for human beings who have his spirit to have a new mind, a new way of thinking, a new way of living because of what he's going to Put into people. God's going to put that in people, and it, and it changes things. Now let's look at the interaction of people who are they're they're familiar with Scripture. They are familiar with the the traditions of the Jewish people. They are they are committed. These these are leaders in the religious community that Jesus is going to encounter, and we find all of this. In Matthew chapter 22, that's where we're going to find these three encounters. We're going to start in verse 23 and go, go on down a little bit to uh, 46. But if you want to look at that, the, you can follow along with uh, these interactions. But he is encountering these particular leaders. He's going to start with the Sadducees. And then he will deal with the Pharisees. And just so you know, the four major groups of, the, of this time 
are within the religious establishment. The Sadducees are the upper crust. They're the rich ones. They have the power, the political power. They are in the heights of the priesthood. They are in the the, uh, temple in Jerusalem. They're they're running things. They, They are living a nice life, so they really want to get along well with the with the Romans. Now, the Romans are, you know, the invaders, but they're also the power brokers. So they want to get along with them. Sadducees are willing to do what they can to, to work that out. They are uh, more pro-Roman, so they'd be Herodians. Sometimes you'll come across that kind of statement. The Pharisees it was a group that started almost 200 years before this, and they were committed to the scriptures. When they came back from exile, came back from Babylon, they're back in the land, they build the temple, they rebuild the city of Jerusalem. They don't want to go into exile again. They don't want God down on them. They don't want to blow it. So they go into the scriptures and discover things that they should have been doing in the first place. So they are very careful about following whatever laws, whatever is given to them, they want to make sure they follow every detail of that law and make sure that everybody else does too. So some of their practices included how you wash your hands. There are instructions given in the Old Testament, it's true, on how to wash your hands. Those were given to, it matters who these are given to, it was given to the priest. This is how you wash your hands to be holy, to go into the holy place, to handle the responsibilities that you have. This is how you do the hand washing. They thought, well, if it's good enough for the priest, that's everybody. And we're going to judge everybody on the basis of how much hand washing they do and if they do it properly. Wash your hands a certain amount of time. Sing the little song, you know, like during COVID. And then and then you raise your hands up and it has to drip off. And then when you're done, you're a surgeon and you get the gloves it's it, it's just this whole thing is wrapped up and and they apply it to everybody so they find some other kind of not they're not happy with the laws that were given that were actually applied to or applied to certain people certain groups no they go find more and then they write more there's more written they have things they have oral laws that aren't written extra laws try to keep up with that so those, those are the Pharisees. The Essenes are a group of people who are committed to the truth of Scripture and, and wanting to be pure, to, to walk with the Lord in, in, in truth and love and they, all of that. But they said the temple and everything that's going on in Jerusalem is corrupt because the Sadducees are mainly running it. That's where the high priest comes in, and they that's a political position by this point. It's not like God appointed them. It's just gone downhill. The Essenes move out to the Dead Sea at Qumran. So if you've heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls, it's those guys. So they're writing Scripture down. They're copying. They've got other books. If you've read the Book of Enoch, that's one of the where, uh, recent copies are found. They they would store them in jars and keep them in caves. So Dead Sea Scrolls found in 1947-48. That's where those are coming from. So the Essenes are, are part of that. The Zealots are another group. They're not mentioned in this bunch, but they are the, the ones pro-Israel and anti-Roman. So whatever they can do to get rid of them is what they want to do. So politically, they're just opposed. The two we come in contact with here are the Sadducees and Pharisees. So we're in the temple. Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's got his disciples with him. He's got people around. There's a crowd. He's coming to the city. They knew he was there. It's Passover time. Big celebration going on. Then, now you're ready, right? Matthew 22, verse 23. This is stuck, stubborn, and stupid. I'll just read this to you, 23 to 33. That same day, Jesus was approached by some Sadducees, religious leaders who say there is no resurrection from the dead. They posed this question, Teacher, 
Moses said, if a man dies without children, his brother should marry the widow and have a child who will carry on the brother's name. Well, suppose there were seven brothers. The oldest one married and then died without children, so his brother married the widow, but the second also died, and the third married brother married her. Uh, this just keeps... They just can this continue with all seven of them. Last of all, the woman also died. So tell us, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? For all seven were married to her. Okay. Now Jesus. Jesus replied, your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. For when the dead rise, they will neither... Marry nor be given in marriage. In this respect, they will be like the angels in heaven. But now as to whether there will be a resurrection of the dead, haven't you ever read about this in the scripture? Long after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died, God said, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So he is the God of the living, not the dead. When the crowds heard him, they were astounded at his teaching. That's his response. He is addressing the top of the heap. These are the guys with all the credentials, all the authority. Their titles are huge. They're long. Lots of letters after their names on their doors. Lots of stuff these guys have. And he's saying, you don't even know the scriptures. You go, what? Talk about embarrassing in front of the crowd. He's addressing the very thing that they stand on. And you don't know the power of God. And these guys have looked at the scriptures where the Lord has presented himself over and over again. And then they go, see, there's no resurrection. There's no more. There's no um, supernatural spiritual stuff. I mean, it's just, there's a God will grant you that. But, you know, other than just how it plays out right here, right now, that's pretty much it. That's their view. So they have, they've come in, into contact with the Son of God who come from heaven. He's come, he's come from heaven to earth to present information that's necessary. He knows what's out there. And uh, he, he's the word of God you know, who has come and become flesh among us. He is presenting this reality they don't know the scriptures. They don't know the power of God. And then he addresses the whether they will be married or not issue. Doesn't give us a whole lot of information on that, but he does. I mean, he addresses it. He touches on it. But he is setting these guys up. What, just look at how stuck they are in their idea. Their idea of what the cosmos, what reality, what eternity, whatever else is out there. Whatever that is, is in their head. They have created this image of what that is like. We all ought to take a, just a moment and say, okay, what have I created? What is my box? What is it? What, what is God doing? What is he capable of? How am I judging everybody and everything around me based on my box? Do I know the scriptures? Do I know the power of God? Do I understand the thing he's trying to accomplish? What's happening out there in eternity? How does that work? And why did he give us the rules about how we marry? And then these guys are trying to trap Jesus with their cleverness. And people do this to God all the time. If you've ever played the what if game, then you know this. So what if, what if, and you start running through, what if Satan never came? What if... What if Jesus were a woman? What if Jesus were married to Mary Magdalene? What if, you know, you do the what ifs. He's presented what is. So when you arrived on planet Earth, did you discover that gravity was flexible? It was dependent on you. On whether that, how that played out. So that way when you jumped out of your crib, you were good to go. You could float around the room. You wouldn't bust your head. Gravity was here. The planet was here. 
History, before you got here, was here. The languages were here. And Jesus is saying, this is, this is just what is. This is what is. You've come into this. The reality is there's something out there. I've come from out there to here. I'm telling you what the angels are like because I'm just going to give you a hint because they're not into angels either. They're just, this, this whole thing is like you're, you're messing with our box because we don't believe in any of it. The scriptures are telling us the truth. He says, and it's really easy. You're, you guys are always saying that we are descendants. We are the people of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And why would you repeat that over and over? Probably every day. And he said, you're saying the very thing that says God is the God of the living, not the dead. Every day. Their box created their view, their perspective. And they were not open to the idea that that the Messiah had come in the form of this person, Jesus, in their day. Nope, not okay with that. We're going to hit you with this really super hard scriptural thing and give you a what if, because your view of what's out there in the resurrection is so ridiculous, we're just going to tie you into knots with this, which Jesus you know, addresses, and he takes them a whole different direction. So they're stuck. They're stuck in their box. They're stuck in what they created. They're stuck uh, in their stubbornness. The lack of interest in finding out what do the scriptures say? Why did God address these things the way he did to to their people? They have the scriptures so they can check it out. Stupid Stupid is being ignorant of things and not willing, not curious enough, not interested enough to find out what's really going on or just looking at the reality. So they are stuck, they're stubborn, and they're stupid. And in our world, we run into that all the time as well. Just creating boxes, making God fit. If he doesn't fit, we reject it. And so we come up with a whole new idea of how how he works or how he doesn't, uh, is not effective, doesn't accomplish anything. It's just, ah. Uh, But when the crowds heard Jesus, they were astounded at his teaching. Now, these are the main teachers. They're in the main spot, temple area, and he addresses them. And the people are going, that guy, that hillbilly from Nazareth, that guy, listen to that. Well, that wasn't enough, so we we go on. We have smart, studied, and sinful. So we get the next group, Matthew 22, 34 to 40. This is the Pharisees, so we're changing, uh, changing groups. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. And, and in, in this case, the Sadducees are the, are the big dogs, and the Pharisees are their country cousins, they... They're both on the Sanhedrin, they're both in the temple, but the Pharisees are the blue-collar group. I don't know if that's helping you put this together. They don't necessarily hang out together, nor do they, they uh, get along all that well, except when they have a common enemy. And look at that. The Pharisees are going to jump in. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. Yep. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Great question. 613, remember? 613 laws in the law of Moses. And Jesus is going to draw one. They're looking for one of those. Like, don't lie, don't commit adultery, don't eat shrimp, you know, important ones. And they're looking for what's that one. And, and then they're going to, you know, rip him to shreds because they've done this to other people, I'm sure, over and over. But this is their opportunity to get Jesus. And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. 
This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Everything. Everything rests on these two. So the rest of the the laws and how they apply, how they work, all are connected to this or to these two commandments and the uh, just just giving them that much information switches everything right? we we've got the first law we've got to watch that one the first commandment is to have no other god before me i mean god is the most high god and he's and he says that over and over again but when he gives them that information it's Remember, they've come out of Egypt. It gives them that commandment. They've had many gods in Egypt. They were around all the gods that he just uh, humiliated with the ten plagues, picking their big gods and just making them look dumb and powerless. And he's not saying that they aren't gods, that they aren't really uh, beings of great power. He's not, he didn't say that at all. He just says, don't worship them. Choose the Most High. And then in Deuteronomy, we've got this, you know, love the Lord your God. With uh, this is this is your faithfulness. This is your commitment. This is your your desire. And it's with all. The word all is there, not partial, not sometimes, not just on Sabbath morning. All that this should be the central thing guiding the 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 life and. It is so important that without it, you can't do the second. Now, the second is like it, he says. And, and in churches, what, what happens with this, if we have a worship service, we get together on a Sunday morning, we will, commit, we will say that takes care of one. That's, that takes care of the first commandment. We love the Lord our God with everything. You go, got 168 hours. You just gave him one. There's 167 left. Who gets that? Hmm. Love the Lord your God with all. Then the second is equally important. But if you don't do the first one, the second one doesn't matter. But the second one gets the most most attention. So in churches, doing the social thing, making sure we do social things with people, making sure we do social things if we you know we don't do a whole lot of the children's activities anymore. But you got to build on 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 how we're going to take care of them, feeding programs. We, that, those are the most important things you can do. The big question for church planters, church, people starting churches today is, if your church ceased to exist in your community, would they miss you? Because the most important thing is your community service. So I've helped start Rotary Club. That's pretty much what we ask. So your social club is here to help the community. So if it's not here, would they miss you because you really didn't do anything? What is it churches are for? Social involvement. No. There is this higher calling. Jesus has come down from heaven and said, I'm going to establish this new thing. And it's a group of people who have a new heart, new mind, and I'm going to put my spirit in them, and they are going to understand the truths and the realities of eternity in heaven and bring that to earth so that earth can be lived out on, or heaven can be lived out on earth through individuals, through couples, through families, through communities. I'm going to call the church, and I'm going to call them together, which is what the word ecclesia means for church. He's bringing them together. And they're going to represent me. They're going to shine light. Yeah, they might feed some people. They're going to encourage some people. They're going to befriend some people. But what's going to be known is, do they love me with all their heart, mind, and soul? Or are they just going to skip over that to please people? And it happens all the time. So he's calling these guys because they've gotten sideways with, let's keep the rules. How does love fit into that? What Jesus says, if I put a new spirit, my spirit in them and a new mind and a new heart, they want to do this. 
I don't have to come down with a whole lot of 613. I don't have to give them all that. I can give them a few guidelines and they will run with it and love other people. I can give them a few guidelines and they will love me with all they've got because I'm putting something new in them. These guys are trying to do it with, it's just head, head knowledge. I memorize all the scripture. I know the commandments. I know the traditions. I've read the other books that we wrote in the last 200 years. And there are a lot of rules, and I'm just going to tell and judge everybody on the basis of how well they do that. And Jesus is going, that's, no, no, it's a new heart. It's a new mind. It's a new way and a want to, a desire to do something different. And that kind of love is so much more meaningful in connection with other people, in a society, in a community, in a nation. And that's what he's, he's laying out before them. They, try, they thought, this is it. We will trip you up. You're going to pick something, and we're going to come after you. And he's going, no, no I'm really not going not gonna to go with that. John 4, he goes and talks to a woman at the well in the middle of the day. The rule is you can't speak to women. Don't speak to them. Without, they're unaccompanied. What are you doing out there at the well talking to this woman in the middle of the day? I mean, this whole thing is just uh, unseemly. And Jesus just talks to her. She's been divorced four times, living with a guy. So we got this whole, this is upside down. How come he doesn't just judge her on the basis of, you know, you're not supposed to get divorced like that. And no, he just names it and he keeps going. Because the main thing is this woman needs to know that she's loved and that she can love the Lord, her God, with all her heart, mind, soul, and strength. And her life will change. And before she goes back down the hill, after getting her water, she is changed. And she goes back to the community that had isolated her because she's not going to the well in the town. She goes outside of town to get water because she's not allowed. The women go to get water typically in the evening when it's cool. She goes out in the middle of the day because she's not allowed. She goes back and talks to the people who didn't really care for her. And she tells them, you got to come meet this guy. He just talked to me. And he told me everything about me. Not condemning. He just led her into truth. And he did it with love. And her life is altered. And then those people believe her instead of stoning her. And they follow her back to the well. They meet Jesus. And the whole town says, can you just hang out with us a few days? Because, man, we need this. Because it's not what these guys have been presenting. It's not this, here's this hard-nosed, miserable list of things that you keep and we judge you on the base of it, condemn you on the base of it. If you kept it, and, and on, on the positive side of the law, if they kept it because they love God, he said he would bless them. So it really would go well for them. But they had turned this thing upside down and said, no, you do it because that's we're the guys. So the Sadducees, Pharisees, we're going to judge. We're going to determine this thing is gone off the rails. He says, no, let's come back. It's about loving him. So smart, yeah, these guys are smart. I mean, these are the clever ones. These are the, the upper crust of the blue-collar people, and they've studied. I mean, these guys, like Paul, he's one of the Pharisees. He, he would be a top-level Ph.D. in our day. I mean, this guy, he just knew his stuff. The languages, the history, the scriptures, I mean, he, he knew it. And they're sinful, because they're missing it. Sin means you miss the mark. You missed what God was had intended. So they they have they've blown it. Another Matthew twenty two forty one to forty six sharp set and silenced. Sharp set and silenced. Surrounded by the Pharisees, Jesus asked them a question. So now he's turning this thing around. What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? And they replied, he's the son of David. Jesus responded, then why does David, speaking under the inspiration of the Spirit, call the Messiah my Lord? 
For David said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies beneath your feet. Since David called the Messiah my Lord, how can the Messiah be his son? No one could answer him. And after that, no one dared ask any more questions. Put an end to it. He has, yeah, they're going, okay, we can't handle this one. He is the Messiah. He is the son of David. He's standing right there in their midst. He's about to go to the cross. They don't understand all of that. They just want to get rid of this guy. But he turns back to the scripture and said, you guys are the ones who are knowledgeable in the scripture. That's what you've done. You are the smart guys. You've studied this. This is what you're holding everyone else accountable to. So how do you make sense of this? And he puts it in the context of uh, David speaking under the inspiration of the Spirit. And he says, it calls the Messiah my Lord. How can, that, how can that possibly be? If he's the son of David, you don't call your son my Lord. And here's this, you know, it's God speaking to God. It's the throne. It's, um, he's going to place the enemies under his feet. I mean, this whole thing is just way beyond their ability to handle it. And he's putting the scriptures and giving us a glimpse uh, by doing so, an idea that scriptures contain so much more uh, of the reality of reality of eternity, of who he is, of who the divine person is, the divine presence, how he works, how he's put in scripture, just these, these examples here, how he has placed in scripture the very things we need. And if you've been... You know, reading through the Bible or periodically you look at the scriptures or even listen to sermons like this and you get bits and pieces here and there. And sometimes we get the box, you know, well, I've got this much information. I'm going to create my little box. This is how God works. And he's just shown us, I've put what you need in the book. You can know that there is more to this. The Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, God of the living, not of the dead. That's pretty simple once you know it. But when you read through the scriptures, and, and, it, and this is a, a tendency for, for us as human beings, we read through the scriptures based on what our experience is and what's happening in our lives right now. So from, I'm going to read it based on what I know from the 1950s till here and, and, and how I'm feeling today and what's going on around me today. So I'm going to read the scriptures. That's my devotional life to discover what it is God's saying to me today based on those parameters. And God in heaven's going, what? There are thousands of years of human history that I've spoken to. I've given you whole lot of information in my book and just like that you can know that there's a resurrection from one statement about him being the God of the living not the dead you can take all the laws of the Old Testament and all that the prophets said all that led Israel to tro- into trouble and into exile Adam and Eve were exiled from the Garden of Eden Israel's Exiled from their, their land, the land of promise. They are, they are separated, and people have just chosen, I don't want to go God's way. And he's offering, here's this incredible opportunity for you. Love the Lord your God. What was the thing with Adam and Eve? Had they done that, we wouldn't be where we are. Love the Lord your God. If Israel had done that, they wouldn't have been exiled. Jesus is saying, I've got something for you. Love the Lord your God, who loves you. He loves you so much he sent me. He doesn't cover that right there, but in John 3 he does. He came because he loved human beings, he loved you so much that he came to live among us, to give us more information, to accomplish what we couldn't, to make things right with God the Father, to make it right in the whole cosmos, Homology, uh, this system, and to bring us into this relationship. And he says, I just have so much more. 
And you can find out more about who he is, who God is, uh, how our relationship should be with him, and how our relationship should be with each other, and that the Messiah is God, who is called Lord, and he is the son of David. It's all there in the book. But you have to get out of the box and look at it from his perspective. We need a new mind, a new heart, and a new spirit. And we can see those things. Sharpening scriptural skills takes us further. He just has so much more for us. He wants us to know him. He wants us to love him in ways far beyond where we've been so far. There's just more to this. And he is uh, revealing that to us. So there, there are some memos from the Messiah as he's dealing with Pharisees and Sadducees and the temple religious leaders of the day. But he's also pointing us to him and to deeper things, deeper things in the scriptures, deeper relationship with him, opening the door to heavenly things. It is um, just a huge invitation. So our Lord's memos, he changes worldview. He, uh, as he approaches these guys, we're going to change the box. It's not like, not like you thought. Their arrogance, ego, their stubbornness was causing a problem. So he, you know, he's bringing in humility. We just, we need, need that to listen, to pay attention. So worldview, humility, clarity, he points out these are the things in Scripture, and, and there's so much more being said here. And then he changes priorities. The priority is to love God and to love people, and, and that he has so much more that he wants to bring our way, and, and, uh, and we can miss it by, by uh, holding on to things that are, are unnecessary and useless and may appear to be spiritual or religious and they're not. So worldview, humility, clarity, priorities. He sets us in a new, uh, on a new path. So discover more. Discover more. We'll look at some more memos from the Messiah next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for allowing us some time. Time in your word. Time to, to uh, see uh, Jesus, how you interact with people here. And, and as you're teaching, you're modeling those things for us too. Thank you for uh, pointing us in the right direction. Thank, thank you for the scriptures that we can turn to. We can find more about you, more about understanding the world we live in, uh, about what's beyond this world, the heavenly realm, about spiritual things, supernatural things, about the real power that exist and and who you really are as the messiah thank you for uh, walking us through those things and uh, thank you that you love us thank you that you care about us and and our relationship with you and with one another lord guide us as we Dig into the scriptures that our eyes would be open, that we would lean on that new mind, that new heart, that new spirit in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal comfort and a wonderful hope, comfort you and strengthen you in every good thing you do and say. Amen. We have a meal coming up. We'll put a couple of tables out there to set the food on and hey, we'll get ready.